Thank you guys so much for letting me come back. It's so exciting to be here. Uh, like Pastor Jeff said, this, this was our home church. Uh, we came here a few years ago after uh, just God kind of threw an unexpected right turn in our story. And we came here and we got to be ministered to here and be a part of the community here uh, for about a year and a half before God led us down to South Jersey with the farm. And so that year and a half that we were here was so impactful on our hearts. So we just wanted to say thank you. My wife wanted to make sure I communicated that as well because our time here was exactly what God knew we needed. And we didn't know we needed that, but he did. And so he led us here. And you guys are just amazing. Uh, I was so excited to be asked to come back because it just feels like home to be here. Uh, So thank you so much for the privilege. Like Pastor Jeff said, uh, you know, I'm down in South Jersey now. I am living a completely different life than I ever dreamed that I would. And I get to speak at quite a few different places. Uh, But the interesting thing was when I first moved down to the farm, I would speak down there and I felt incredibly uncomfortable because I just was so out of my element. But the interesting thing is a year later, now I'm coming up here back in Northern New Jersey and I'm feeling a little out of my element. Uh, So I did bring something to help me feel a little bit more at home uh, and if you give me one second, I left it on the chair. I'm going to grab this. Um, but this will just make me feel a little more comfortable as I, as I preach to all of you this morning. Giddy up. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I won't, I won't wear this because I'm pretty sure Pastor Jeff will just be staring at it the whole time thinking, I bet I could wear that cowboy hat, but he can't. But... Um, Yes, totally. But interestingly enough, uh, as I am running Restoration Family Farm, one of the other opportunities that God opened up for us down there is I was asked to, uh, in a volunteer role, be the chaplain for the uh, New Jersey High School Rodeo Association. So much of my preaching is done now, not behind a pulpit, but behind a buck and shoot, uh, which I didn't even know what that was until about a year ago. But now I get to go to the rodeos and, and preach God's word with the families and the cowboys and cowgirls that are down down there uh, during the rodeo season. So it's interesting because, again, if I had ever imagined a year and a half ago that I would be preaching at rodeos, that I would be living on a farm, that I would be uh, taking care of animals and having people come and stay that we could minister to on a farm, I... I know it sounds cliche, but I would have laughed in your face because it just was not anything that I ever thought God was going to bring us into. Uh, But I really believe that the reason he brought us into that season of life is because not that long ago, he challenged me with a question. And it's a question that I want to challenge you with this morning. And it's a question that I believe, whether we have a relationship with Jesus for a hundred years or we're still figuring out what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe we would say we don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's a question that every single one of us needs to wrestle with and ultimately answer in our lives. And this is not just a one and done question. It's not a question that you're going to answer one day and you never have to think about it again for the rest of your life. It's a question that each and every one of us need to constantly be wrestling with, constantly engaging with, because it is a question that literally has the power 
to change and transform your lives. And the question is found in the book of John, and I was very excited to find that you guys are in a series through the Gospel of John, because I love John. It's one of my go-to books that I read when I just want to read God's Word. It's just such a powerful book. Uh, I know you're a little bit further in the book, but I asked Pastor Jeff if it would be okay if we round a little bit to go back to the beginning, just because I really felt strongly on my heart that this was a question that God wanted us to grapple with uh, in our time this morning. And the question is found in the book of John chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning, and we're going to unpack them together. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bible or if you have a device that you could follow along with, please, I want you to dive in with me uh, on your own. Don't just take my word for it, not because I'm not going to do my best to give you the truth of God's word, but because God's word is your truth, and he wants you to see it for yourself. And so I always love it when we can dive into God's word together, where it's not just a talking head up here, but you're actually diving in and seeing God's word uh, with your eyes for yourself. But, but let's read these verses together. I'm going to read them all so we can kind of get an idea of the context of what we're going to be talking about, and then we're going to unpack them uh, together. So let's read this. John 2, verses 1 to 12. It says this, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather in this place at this time. Lord, let us never take for granted the fact that there are many, 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 many people on this planet that do not have this privilege this morning. Lord, we're, we're grateful for you. We're grateful that you are a God who can be found, that you are not just a God that sits on their throne leaving us to figure it out on our own. But you are a God who actively pursues us, that actively desires to be in relationship with us. We thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that your word is truth and that your word has the power to transform lives. Father, you've told us in your word that, that it will never return void so Lord, already just because we've read these verses, you've already given us everything that we need to completely transform our lives. 
God, to think that, that you are that powerful, that you are that good, is a staggering thought. But Lord, this morning, we don't want to stop here. We want to keep pressing in. We want to keep pursuing you. We want to keep hearing for your voice so that we can know you more, so that we can be challenged by you, so that we can be convicted by you, and we can be encouraged by you. Lord, there are many other things that we could be doing this morning that could have all of our attention, but we're here now. And I believe that we are here now because you have something great that you want to teach us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the attention that we need to see your face and hear your voice in this place. Father, let us humbly put aside all of the distractions today so that we can meet with you in this place. Pray that you'd be with all the men that are still on the retreat this morning as they're meeting with you uh, on that retreat. I pray that you would speak to their hearts even in this very moment. And Father, I pray that above all else, no matter where we are, whether we're watching online at home, whether we're in this room, whether we're on the retreat, I pray that above all else, you would bring us all closer to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let me set the scene a little bit for us as we continue to dive in to this passage. We, we know that in this passage that we're reading, what's taking place here is Jesus is newer on the scene to the people that are in this moment. This is what is referred to as Jesus' first earthly miracle. So Jesus had come on, on the scene and he was starting to gain some attention. He looked differently than, than people were expecting him to look. He talked differently than, than people thought he would talk. He taught God's word differently than they had been used to hearing it taught. And so Jesus started to gain some attention uh, in the world and in the culture around him. And as you can imagine, with that attention comes these new connections and these new relationships because people are saying, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder, wonder who this guy is. I wonder what's going on with this guy. And so in those relationships and in those encounters, it says that, that Jesus, was invited to a wedding. Now, we're mostly all or to some extent from New Jersey, and so I think it's safe that I can say that we've probably all experienced in New Jersey that Jersey people really love their weddings. Uh, in, a, in a previous life, um, before I became a pastor, I actually worked in the wedding industry for a few years. Uh, I was doing three, four weddings a weekend, uh, all different kinds of weddings. I was, I was working for a, a company that kind of put on some rather high-end weddings. Um, humble brag, I got to be at one of uh, Billy Joel's weddings. Uh, I did the, the tech and the audio for, for his one wedding. I forget which one it was, probably four or five. Um, but it was at his house in the Hamptons, and it was a lot of fun. I got to be there, and I just got to experience what a celebrity wedding was like. Uh, then not long after that, I was at Robert De Niro's wedding and, and got to experience that. You know, I'm just throwing these humble brags out there. But, but you know, uh, but, but I noticed something about being in, in the wedding world is that as much as we love to party and as much as we love to celebrate weddings, I noticed something that as I was engaging in each of these parties, something would change. Each one seemed to get a little bit bigger and a little bit flashier than the one before. I will say Billy Joel's was kind of the, the top of the heap. That was the most 
unbelievable one I've ever experienced. But, but all these different things that I would go to, it was like, wait, they had that at that last wedding, but they did it just a little bit better. They did it a little bit more. They love to party. They love to show off. Jersey weddings love to put on a show. And so just as much as the wedding was this moment of celebration, what I realized was it was really a moment of showing off. It was really an opportunity to say, hey, look what I could do. Look at how much I have. Look at how I could do all of this and provide all of this for all of you. That was kind of what the weddings looked like. And I'm sure if you're thinking about it for a moment, you've been to some of those weddings at some point in your life. Now, knowing that about how we like to experience weddings here in New Jersey, what's important to understand for the the context of this passage was that if we think weddings are a big deal here, in the Bible times, they were that and then some. Like, this would have been, like, embarrassing in the Bible times. If you had the the best wedding that you could ever imagine here in New Jersey in 2022, if you brought it back to the Bible times, they would be like, really, that's it? Weddings were a huge deal. They weren't just this moment. They weren't just four hours and a cocktail hour. They were days upon days upon days of celebration. And every uh, wedding, every reception was the opportunity for the person that was throwing the party to show off, to say, look at how much wealth I have. Look at how much success I have. Look at what I've accumulated. Look at what I've accomplished. Now you come and be a part of that. That's what weddings were like in the Bible times. And so it says that Jesus was at this wedding with his mother and his disciples. Now, why was Jesus at this wedding? Because it says in verse two that Jesus and his disciples had been what? What does it say? Do you remember? It starts with an I, I I-N. It said they had been invited to the wedding. Now, in, in your life, when you receive an invitation to a wedding, what does that really mean to you? Now, it means, yes, that, that we're standing behind this couple. It means that whoever's getting married, uh, you have some kind of connection with them, and they want you to come and be a part of the day, and they want you to celebrate the, the union that's taking place as they, they stand before their friends and their family, and they make this commitment to each other and to God, and it's this beautiful moment. But the reality is when you receive an invitation to a wedding, and you go to that wedding, what you're really being asked asked to do is to go to that wedding and observe what everyone else is doing. You're being asked to go to that wedding. You're invited to the wedding so that you can watch the bride and the groom and their family stand in front of the the group and make this commitment. You're being given an observation role in that celebration. That's what happens when we're invited to a wedding. And so Jesus was given that same invitation in this moment. He was given the invitation by this family that was getting married, this couple that was making this commitment. They said, Jesus, we want you and your mom and your disciples, we want you to come and observe what we are going to do. We want you to look and watch what we are going to take part in over here. 
Does that sound familiar to anybody else when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? You see, I've noticed something. And the question that I, I said I wanted to ask us is this. We have been given the opportunity to invite Jesus into our story. You see, Jesus said that, that I, or God said that I love the world so much that I, I gave my son to, to come to the earth to die on the cross, to give you the opportunity for forever relationship with me. But what the, the opportunity that we have is, we have the opportunity to then invite him into our story. But the question that I wanna ask you is this, what type of invitation have you given Jesus in your story today? These people at the wedding, they invited Jesus to observe what they were already going to do. They said, Jesus, you can come, you can look, but don't touch. We're going we're gonna to have the ceremony. We're going to make the commitment. We're going to do the things that we're going to do, but we want you to be a part of it. But just observe, just watch, just look, but don't touch. I don't know about you, but I found myself at times wrestling with that same thought when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. You see, I think many of us would say, oh, no, 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 I've invited Jesus into my story. I've, I've asked him, you know, to, to use the church phrase, I've asked him into my heart. I've asked him to be in, in my story. But the reality is, for many of us, that invitation really just stops at observation. We say, Jesus, I want you to come be here, but look, don't touch, because I want to do what I want to do, the way that I want to do it, in the time that I want to do it, but I know I want you to be in my life, so here's the deal, Jesus. You come, you be a part of the story, but I'm going to put you at table 13 with all the random people that I don't know where else to sit them at at the party, so you can be here, but I don't really want you to be that involved in my story. Oh, no, 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 Rob, I'm very, I, Jesus is very involved in my story. I pray every day. That's fantastic. But can I ask you a question? What does your prayer look like? Is your prayer, Jesus, you come and do something miraculous in my life. You do what only you could do. Or is it, hey, Jesus, I have this thing that I want to do. I have this problem that I want fixed in this way. I have this need that I need met in this capacity. So if you could do that, that would be great. See, you're not really giving Jesus the opportunity to be involved in your story. You're just saying, here, I'm going to do what I want to do. And Jesus, you can be here because I know you're supposed to be here. Oh, but Rob, I, I read my Bible all the time. He's totally involved in my story. Okay, that's great. But can I ask you, what type of Bible reading are you doing? Are you looking in the Bible to prove your decision or to justify your action? Or are you saying, God, your word is truth. I want your word to transform me. And so I'm going to read it. And whatever it says, I'm going to do it. See, there's a difference between observation and involvement. These people at the wedding, they said to Jesus, Jesus, we want you to come. We want you to be a part of this commitment, but really all we want you to do is look, don't touch. We're gonna do what we're gonna do. You be here, because we want you here, but don't do anything. Just stay and watch. That's the first invitation that Jesus was given at this wedding, but he was also given a second invitation. And this invitation came from his mother. And mama always knows best. 
And look at the invitation that, that Mary gives to Jesus. You see, they're at this wedding, and what does it say takes place? A problem arises. What's the problem? They ran out of wine. Now, we could go into that plenty. It's, it's not a big deal that they ran out of wine because they all wanted to just keep drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. The reason that it was a big deal that they ran out of wine was because of what I said before, that in the time of, of this, what takes place at the wedding is they throw this massive party so that everybody can see that this guy is able to provide and able to do all of this stuff for all the people around him. And so for them to be throwing this party and for them to run out of wine is essentially destroying this person's life because they're saying, wait a minute, you threw this party for us and you can't even provide for us? Are you really who you thought you were? So for this family, for this host of the reception to run out of wine, that was a big deal in that time. And so this problem arises. And, and Mary gets wind of it. Mary finds out, hey, there's something wrong here. And look at what happens. She gives Jesus an invitation as well. And this invitation is found in verse three and four. It says this, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse four, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, why do you involve me? You see the difference between the invitations here? You see, this family invited Jesus to observe what they were going to do. But Mary, Jesus' mother, invited Jesus to involve himself in what was taking place. You see, Mary said, there's a problem here. There's something significant that's going on, and something needs to be done. And she said, Jesus, you need to involve yourself in this moment. And I wonder, have you asked Jesus to do that in your story today? Have you said, Jesus, this is, this is happening. This is going on in my life. I need you to involve yourself in this. Or have you simply said, Jesus, yeah, 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 this is going on in my life. This is happening. But you stay over there because I'm going to fix it my way. I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live. I'm going to do this the way that I think it should be done. But I know I need you, so you be there, and I'll let you know if I need anything. But right now, just say at table 13. Have you invited Jesus to observe or involve himself in your story? You see, the sad reality is that for many of us, our relationship with Jesus stops at observation. For many of us, our relationship with Jesus stops in purely an observation role. But the truth is that Jesus doesn't just want to come and observe our story. He wants to involve himself in it. Jesus doesn't want observation. He wants transformation. And you see, when we involve Jesus in our story, we go past the observation and clear the stage for him and his transformation. And that's what took place in this story. You see, Mary said, Jesus, there's a problem. You need to involve yourself in it. And then she said this to the people 
in verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. What's Mary doing? She's setting the stage. She's clearing the floor. And she's saying, look, there's a problem here. There's something that's going on in the story. Jesus, you need to involve yourself in it. So hey, everybody else, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I think that's a word for someone in this room this morning. I think somebody here needs to be reminded that you may have something going on in your life right now and you need to do what Jesus is telling you to do. And you may feel like you're stuck. You may feel like nothing's happening, but it's because you've been trying to keep Jesus over here watching and he's saying, no, 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 no. Let me involve myself and bring the transformation. And maybe Mary's words to these workers at the wedding need to be the words for you this morning. Do whatever he tells you to do. Because you see, when we do that, that's when the transformation happens. Because look what happens when Jesus involved himself in the story. It says in verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So now quick math, if you know me, you know math is not my thing, but 30 gallons times six, six times three is 18. So we're talking like 180 gallons of water. Is that right? That was pretty good, right? I'm glad we got that on camera because I don't usually get my math right like that. We're talking almost 180 gallons of water that these jars hold. And look at what it says. It says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water and it had been turned to wine. Look what happens when Jesus involves himself in the story. You see, if he was just observing, I don't know if this would have happened. But see, Mary said, no, 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 Jesus, I don't want you to just look. I want you to touch. I want you to involve yourself in this story. And you know, the interesting thing was this. Mary didn't know what Jesus was gonna do, but she knew who he was, and she knew that he had the power to do something. And so for some of you this morning, you may be looking at your story and you may feel like there's a problem here. I need a miracle. And you know what? We don't need to know what Jesus is gonna do because we know who he is and we know that he has the power to do something. And so we can step forward. We can invite him to involve himself in the story because he is the one who was and is and is to come. And he is the only one that can do the miraculous in our story. And so we can say, Jesus, I want to invite you to involve yourself in the story. And when we do that, that's when the transformation takes place. And that's what took place in this moment. Jesus said to the servants, the guys that were working at the wedding, listen, I need you to go and I need you to fill these jars with water. Now we'll come back to this because that's a big thing too. But what, what takes place? It says that they go and fill it with water and it says that Jesus tells them, now take some out, bring it to the guy that's running the party. Brings it to the guy that's running the party and the guy says, wait a minute, this is good. And, and he said, usually, you know, what would happen is because it's such a long drawn out thing that usually you wouldn't give the good stuff at the end because you wouldn't waste it because people's, um, they're not gonna notice it as much. We'll put that nicely towards the end of the party. They won't notice how good the, the stuff is. So you'd kind of give them the cheap stuff because they're not going to know the difference anyway. So, so what the, the man was saying is, usually you, you, you don't end with the best. 
But you see, what's interesting was Jesus didn't end with the best. Jesus led with the best. The first time that Jesus involved himself in the story, he said, I don't care what else is going on. I'm giving you all I got. I'm giving you my whole self. I'm giving you the best. Here it is. And that's what he does in your story too, by the way. You don't get a second-hand God. You don't get a second-rate Holy Spirit. Jesus gives you all of himself when you involve him in your story. And it says that the guy said to the, the servants, wait a minute, what is this? Well, I know what it is. It was the miraculous work of Jesus. That's what it was. Yeah, it was good wine, but the reality was it was the miraculous work of Jesus. Now let's talk a little bit about this whole water and wine thing because it's really powerful. You know, Jesus had them take and fill these jars with water. Now, here's something interesting about water. Now, I'm no chemist, but I I did a little bit of study on this because it was very intriguing to me. Here's the thing about water. If I had a bottle of water over there, that bottle of water in that bottle in this moment is only as good as it will ever be. Now, yeah, I could throw some ice cubes in it, do the whole lemon or cucumber or whatever kind of, you know, stuff to put it in the water. But the reality is that water is only ever going to be as good as it is in that moment. No matter how perfect the conditions are for that bottle of water, that water will only be that good ever again. Never going to get any better. That's water. But you see, wine is completely different. Because you see, wine under the right conditions, if it's cared for in the right manner, if it's stored properly, if the bottle's rotated, if if the temperature is correct, the humidity is right, that bottle of wine in that moment will only get better and better and better under the proper conditions. You see, for for Jesus and for the, the people at this wedding, what I find really fascinating is this. They saw jars of water because Jesus said, fill these jars with water. They saw what was in that moment. Big jars of water, bunch of gallons. That's what was. But Jesus didn't just see what was. He saw what could be. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't just see what was. He saw that water and he also saw what it could be. And you know, when Jesus looks at your story, when Jesus looks at your life, when Jesus looks at the moment that you're in right now that might feel like you've come to a dead end, that might feel like there's no hope, that might feel like you can't figure out a way out of this or a resolution to it, you might only be able to see what is. But see, Jesus looks at you, Jesus looks at your story, and he sees what can be. He's not thrown off of, I need wine and all I have is some water. Hopefully they drank too much and they won't know the difference. He said, no, 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 no. I could work with this. And you know what? He looks at your story this morning and he says the same thing. I can work with this. I can do something with this. And that something is the miraculous. And you see, when we involve Jesus into our story, he doesn't get stuck on what is. He sees what can be. And under the right conditions, when Jesus is involved in your life, when you say, I don't just want you to look, I want you to be involved, he says, okay, watch me do what only I can do. 
And that's when the transformation takes place. But the reality is it has to be done under the right conditions. We can't just sit there and say, Jesus, I want you to be involved, but the level of your involvement will be, you just do what I tell you to do. No, no, no. Mary said to the servants, and she's saying to us, and and God's saying to us this morning, no, 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 you need to do what he tells you to do. And that's when the transformation takes place. See, Jesus doesn't see what is. He sees what can be. And when you involve him in your story, that's when the transformation takes place. But what are these conditions? What are these conditions? Because, Because we're not just after behavior modification. You could throw an ice cube in a bottle of water. You could throw a, a lemon wedge in it. You're just modifying the behavior. You're not changing what it is. But Jesus wants to change who we are. He doesn't want us to just starve a habit for a little bit of time. He doesn't just want us to you know, decide, okay, I'm not gonna look at this or I'm not gonna do this for this next week. Or, or He doesn't want you to just modify your behavior. He wants to change who you are. But how do we do that? I think there's three keys that we have to understand from this story in order to see authentic, life-changing transformation take place. The first key is this, we need to obey. We need to obey. I have a firm grasp on the obvious. People tell me that all the time. But the obvious answer is we need to obey. Jesus and Mary, Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. She gave them a command, but the reality was they had to obey. They would have missed out on the miracle if they didn't obey. You can say you need to do this, but they still needed to do it. The servants still needed to go and fill the jars with water. They needed to obey. And for some of you this morning, God's telling you what you need to do. The next step is you need to obey. You need to go and do it. If you want to see transformation take place, ask yourself, am I doing what he's asked me to do? It takes obedience if we want to see our lives transformed. It also takes effort. It takes effort. Now remember, I said this is like 180 gallons of water. There was no hose. There was no sink. There was no tap that they were going to fill these jars with. It took effort to take that much water and put it into these jars. They had to work to see the miracle. You know, something that God has really challenged me with is that I wonder how many times in my life I've missed out on the miraculous because it was disguised as work. I wonder how many times I've missed out on God doing something miraculous in my life because I thought, well, I shouldn't have to work this hard to see something take place. God should just do it for me. You know, we, we love to talk about harvest. We love to talk about God giving us things, about us receiving things, about God just doing this miraculous work. And the reality is what we tend to think in those moments is we're just gonna sit back and we're gonna wait for the blessings to flow, baby. 
I'm just going to sit over here and God, you just keep raining them down on me. Let them flow. Come on. More money? Yes. Better relationship? You betcha. Bigger promotion at work with a company car and a better everything? Yep. Come on, Jesus. We just sit here and we just wait for the blessings to flow when the reality is Jesus is saying, yes, I want to do the miraculous in your life, but hey, guess what? You're going to be a part of it too. And you have to put forth some effort. You know, I was being down at the farm. Right now we're in the midst of harvest season. And, and I, I always used to read these verses in the Bible that talk about the harvest, right? At the proper time, you'll, you'll reap what you sow and, and the harvest is plentiful. And, and really, I always thought that the picture meant exactly what I just said, where we would do all this work over here and then we'll sit down over here and just rake in all the glory. But you know, it's harvest season right now. You know what, what I'm learning? Harvest season is the hardest working time of the entire season. These farmers that are harvesting their crops are working day in and day out, sun up till sundown. There is no Monday. There is no Saturday. There's just day. There's work to be done and they needed to work to reap the harvest. The corn's not gonna cut itself. The tomatoes aren't gonna fall off the vine and into the bushels. The harvest is there, but the effort needs to be put forth to receive the fruit. And in our lives, when we wanna see transformation take place, we need to understand that we have to put forth the effort God's going to do what only God can do. But the amazing thing about his heart is he gives us the opportunity to join in with him as he does the miraculous. But it takes obedience. It takes effort. We need to be willing to work if we want to see transformation take place in our lives. And then it takes faith. It takes faith. Again, Mary didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but she knew who he was and that he would do something. And I wonder, do you know that this morning? Do you have the faith to say, Jesus, I'm looking at my story and this doesn't look good. I need the miraculous. I need transformation. And I don't know what you're gonna do, but I know who you are and I know that you have the power to do something. And so I will exercise my faith and do what you tell me to do. I will do my part and set the scene so that you can do the miraculous. It takes obedience, it takes effort, and it takes faith. But when we do that, that's when we see the miraculous unfold in our lives. Have you invited Jesus to observe or involve himself in your story? You know, I love what it says in verse 11. It says that after Jesus had done this, he had changed the water to wine. It said that what Jesus did here was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. You know, I think one of the sad sad truths is that many of us think that, that the miracles that Jesus wants to do in our lives are purely for us. When the reality is, Jesus wants to do this work in our lives to reveal his glory to everyone around us. 
Every opportunity that we take to involve Jesus in our story is another opportunity that we give for his glory to be revealed through our story so that the people around him will believe. It goes on and it says that that his disciples believed in him because they saw him do what only he could do. Can you imagine what the the people in your lives, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the the people at at school, the people wherever it may be, can you imagine how their lives would be impacted if you let Jesus do a transformative miraculous work in your story and let them see it? Can you imagine how their lives would be changed and impacted if you let him work through your story? But we'll never be able to see that unless we exercise obedience, unless we put forth the effort and we exercise our faith to know that, God, you are going to do something. I don't need to know what it is because I know who you are that's when the miraculous will take place. You know, like I said, we, we run this ministry and, and if there has ever been anything that has tested my faith, it has been this past year. Because like I said, God challenged me with this question and the question was, Rob, are you gonna let me involve myself in your story or just observe it? And I said, no, Jesus, I want you to involve yourself in it. And this past year, as I've cleared the, the floor for him to do that, can I tell you it has stretched me in ways that I never even knew I could be stretched. A few months ago, my, I was sitting, it was Sunday afternoon, and my phone rang, and it was the ministry phone. And I typically don't answer on Sunday afternoons because that's our time with the family, but I really felt like I was supposed to answer. So I pick up the phone, and it's a counselor that I had never heard of, never met. I don't even know how she got her number. said, hey, I have someone that I think needs to come to the farm. They need, they need to go through the ministry and, and go through what you guys do said, okay, and she said, it's a missionary from another country. She was accused of something life-altering, and she needs to come by you guys, and she needs to process through this, because this potentially could either make or break her. And she said, she needs to come for about two weeks. Now, now I heard that, and I heard what the, the circumstances were that she needed to come for, and I said to myself, I can't do this, no way, this is, this is too much. First of all, we don't usually have people come for two weeks. Like, that's a really long time. And second, when I heard what she had to process through, it was like, Lord, I don't, what are, how are we going to be a part of this? I, and as, as I was on the phone, I hung up, and, and this question was in my mind. Jesus reminded me, do you want me to involve myself or just watch? And I said, okay, Jesus. So I called the counselor back and I said, look, we'll do our best. If, if this is what she needs, she's welcome here. And so fast forward a few weeks, this missionary shows up. And those two weeks were some of the most difficult times of ministry that I've ever had. And Pastor Jeff could tell you, we've been through a lot of difficult seasons of ministry. And this one took the cake far and above. We spent hours upon hours upon hours talking, processing, praying, counseling, hours upon hours. God was just taking this woman's story and just unraveling and unraveling lies that had been told to her, accusations that had been spoken about her, 
truths that she had forgotten about him and who he was and who he made her to be. It was the most work I, I never would have imagined. And my wife and I just kept praying, God, we, we, you have to do something. You've got to do something. This is so far above us. It's not even funny. But God, you brought her here. So Lord, you do the miraculous. And so we would just meet with her. We would pray with her. We would pray over her. We would point her to this book. We would point her to her father. And the two weeks went by. And can I tell you, she left that two weeks later and we didn't even recognize her. And we just thought, okay, that was nice. Like, she had a two-week vacation. She's probably just better because, I mean, how, how could you not be? You get to live on a farm for two weeks. But a month later, we get a call from her counselor. And she said to me, hey, I just met with, and I have to tell you, I don't even recognize her. I don't even know who she is anymore. She is completely different than she was a month ago. She looks different. She's acting different. She's talking differently. She's like, whatever happened at that farm changed her. And I got to tell the counselor, well, I know what happened. She invited Jesus to involve herself in her story. And he changed everything about her. Her life was completely different because she said, Jesus, you come in and do the miraculous work. But did she put in that effort? You better believe it. She sat for hours with us doing counseling, prayer, processing, everything. And she had to obey when God would put things on her heart of, hey, you need to forgive this person or you need to let this go or you need to stop doing this and you need to start doing that. She had to do the work. She had to obey and she had to exercise the faith that God was gonna do what only he could do. And when she did that, her life was completely transformed. And that's what he wants to do in your stories this morning. He doesn't want to just observe. He wants to involve himself. He wants to do the miraculous work in you and through you so that his glory can be revealed through your story. And my question is this, will you let him? Will you invite him to involve himself or just watch? If you want to see transformation take place, clear the floor and let him in and watch what he does.